Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Our house, this house, Awaken Church, is a house not only of subtle transformations, but it's really like a house where people go from darkness to light, and then they start to bear fruit. My wife has a twin sister, and I remember there was one summer where we had like 10 weddings. And she was trying to get together with us, but like every weekend we had a wedding, and she's like, how many people do you know? But it's just this place people go into. This isn't just a place where we're looking to get people saved for heaven, but this is a discipleship church. This is a place where we're going to confront with care, carefrontational, have those conversations, grow people in ways that will produce the fruit of righteousness. And so we see relationships formed, weddings happen, babies born. I think at the beginning of, of January or late December, there were like 10 babies in a span of two weeks. It was insane. And then New Year's happened and there's like 10 engagements. And you hear every week stories of people buying houses, starting businesses, businesses thriving, all of these things. And they're like unexplainable statistically by the world standards. But nevertheless, God is prospering the people of Awakened Church, not just financially, but in every way. Like the Bible says, I don't just want you to be in health physically, but I want your soul to prosper. I want everything in your life to prosper. I want you to live a prosperous life. And this isn't like an empty gospel to name it and claim it, to blab it and grab it, but it's actually to lead a transformed life. Amen? So I want to talk about that today, and we are in the series 2020 More. And how many of you know there is one thing that you can always ask God for, and he will give it to you? It's the safest prayer to pray. You can always ask, like Solomon did, for more wisdom. That there's a, a scripture in, uh, in James 1.5, if you need wisdom, ask your generous God and he will give it to you. I don't know how many of you know this, but in addition to being a pastor here at Beho, I do a lot of other stuff, like a crazy amount of other stuff in uh, my life. Like Jenny and I serve in ministry here. We also uh, started Awaken Recovery, lead the Awaken Recovery ministry. It's amazing. We, like, we started something that we knew needed to happen in, uh, not just in this church, but in Christianity in general, because it was something that was lacking, and we didn't use another model. We created our own, 
And over the past five years that Awaken Recovery has existed, including this current workshop where there were like 175, 180 people on uh, the workshop on Thursday night, we've had like 1,500 people go through the workshop. And you saw one of their testimonies this morning. The testimonies, the transformations are incredible. We get to be a part of that. That's really cool. But I also have a life outside of here in my work life. And I serve as a, a chief marketing officer, a fractional chief marketing officer for three large companies. I do a lot of work. I'm in, in boardrooms a lot where I feel like I'm, I'm way above my education level. I'm way above uh, the level that I should be at. But nevertheless, God has made a way. I'm also a husband and a father and a homeowner and a business owner and all of these things that were not the case before I came to Christ, but coming to Christ, allowing myself to be discipled, being willing to let leadership speak into my life, seeking wise counsel and seeking God and his wisdom, my life has grown upward. It's been on an upward trajectory. And my life naturally should not have gone that way. I've got like so many markers where I should be a statistic. I went and saw a, uh, a, a girl that does uh, genetic nutrition. And there's all these genetic markers, you know, like genetics is uh, like DNA and small coding RNA, which is epigenetics. But like the DNA is like the, um, like the wiring diagram for your house. Epigenetics are the switches, whether or not those, uh, those little areas ever turn on or turn off. And you know, you know Jesus can change things, that you can erase trauma, you can change pathways, you can reroute where things are wired in the body. So those things that even though the wiring is there, they never get expressed. And this genetic nutritionist said to me, gosh, I've never seen anybody with all 16 markers for addiction. You're a walking miracle. She's a doctor, but she could see genetically there were things that I was wired for. There were things that existed in my wiring, but somehow, though they were once expressing themselves in full force, any of you guys that know my story, there wasn't like a genetic expression for addiction that wasn't firing on all cylinders, but somehow, when Jesus came into my life, he turned those things off. And we know that they're actually off because there's fruit. You can tell a tree by its fruit and a good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Amen? So I frequently find myself in places where I've like, I've got a lot on my plate, but God somehow makes it manageable. And I understand how Solomon felt. I don't know how, if you guys know this, but when King David died, Solomon was like uh, maybe a young teenager. He was super young. And he felt overwhelmed by his own admission. He was inexperienced. He said he felt like a little child in the face of these overwhelming responsibilities. And feeling his own inadequacy in the face of such responsibility and sensing his need for divine assistance, he went to God 
in worship. Great place to start. And God appeared to Solomon in a dream and said, ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in a place of my father David. Although I'm only a little child, I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. And your servants is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern people able to discern between good and evil. God, I need wisdom. For who can govern your great people? And God said to Solomon, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. I give you a wise and discerning mind. And he gave him all of those other things too. But Solomon sought wisdom. And uh, Proverbs 15, 24 says, the way of the life, the way of life winds upward for the wise that he may turn from hell below. That verse has been like on my heart for months And there's sometimes that God will highlight something to me just so I can dig a little deeper. And I wondered, what does it mean to wind upward? Because you hear the expression, well, I wound up somewhere. And that sounds kind of like happenstance. Or to wind, like have a long and winding road sounds like it's kind of all over the place. So, I went into the Hebrew and I was curious, what does that word wines mean? And I found that it wasn't actually wines, but it was more like winds. That when you live with wisdom, who by the way is a person, we'll get to that later. When you live with wisdom, the Holy Spirit, who is called the spirit of wisdom, is like a wind at your heels. You've got the wind at your back, and it's pushing you upwards. Instead of the downward spiral, you've got this upward call, but it's propelled by God through practicing wisdom. When you're his, he will mature you from glory to glory, but he needs your participation here on earth. You are with him in heaven. Your soul is already seated with him in heaven, and your life will eventually bring you to heaven. But he gives us free choice here on earth, and we can either practice wisdom, or we can just have it our own way. And there's a choice because the fruit is going to be different. Understand? Okay. So my message today is called the movement called wisdom. That wisdom is a movement that is propelled by God. You make a decision, God, I'm going to pray to be wise. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to seek wise counsel. I'm actually going to obey what they tell me to do, what I see in your word, and I'm going to trust that you're going to animate that. I'm going to trust that you're going to push me forward. I'm going to trust that there's going to be power there that I may not currently understand, but I'm going to trust it anyway. In Deuteronomy 2.2, there's a verse I love, and it says, 
And the Lord spoke to me saying, you have circled this mountain long enough. Now turn north. This verse is referring to the Israelites who had been wandering around these mountains for 40 years. A journey that should have taken 12 days. They decided to do it their own way. And they're in the wilderness wandering around, wasting time. They knew where they had to go. They weren't lost directionally. They were lost spiritually. Instead of choosing to trust God and follow what he told them was going to happen, they decided to just do it their own way. So a lot of us can relate to that. I was stuck in circles for a long time in my life, in addictive patterns, in unhealthy behaviors, and it seemed like no matter what I tried to do to break the cycles, I couldn't. I would get a little bit of hope as I'm leading out of it, but then oh, I'm right back where I started, and it just seemed like this endless circle, this endless cycle. But how many of you know that Jesus is the cycle breaker? And like I told you, it says that when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raises us up with him, seated with him in heavenly places. Ephesians 2.1. And there's a, um, I saw this, this study. It was in like a peer-reviewed science journal. And it was interesting. And it was a study looking at the effects of trauma on, uh, on genetics. And they subjected somebody to a traumatic experience and then they looked at their DNA. And they could see the DNA from the sample that they got before the experience. They could see the DNA from the sample after they got the experience. And some doctor, I don't know why he thought this, thought, gosh, I wonder if we took the, the sample out, if it would continue to change. And so they had these cells in a little Petri dish. I'm making it very simple, but it, they had this, and they, they subjected the subject to more experiences, and they saw that cells continued to change, and they thought there must be some sort of radio transmission between the person and the cells. So they thought, well, maybe if we just separate them further, we can do this. And uh, so they separated them further, different sides of uh, the laboratory, but still this thing uh, happened. And so this guy got this idea, well, we're just going to drive the sample across to the other side of town and see what happens. And they, sub they subjected the subject to more experiences and the DNA continued to change. It was like they were connected even though they were separated. And I thought it's such a cool picture that everything natural, everything in nature speaks to God's magnificent attributes. And what I thought this was saying was there are things where we may be, uh, our souls may be seated in heaven. But because that's true, what will be true in eternity is gradually becoming true in life. So if at the moment we get saved, we're seated in heaven, in all the heavenly places with Christ, where were we seated before? Where were our, our souls? They weren't just in our bodies, they were somewhere else eternally. 
because time is like heaven's open enrollment period. Like eternity is going on, and then we're in just this little circle that's outside of time, outside of eternity in time, but the time is affecting eternity, but eternity is still going on. I mean, it's like mind-bending, and I'm sure some of you are going like, wow, that's really way over my head. But these are the things that I think about, you know, sometimes at night, and I was just thinking like, wow, that's such a crazy thing. I couldn't escape where my life was going, is basically my point. That no matter how much I tried to escape it on my own strength, I just seemed to continue to spiral down. But when I got saved and I accepted Christ and I started to get discipled, I can't help but spiraling up. It's super weird how that happens, and I think it happens in everywhere in the world. Make sense? Okay, so this is the scripture I really wanted to get to uh, today. Wisdom isn't head knowledge, by the way. Wisdom, if it just stayed in your head and it didn't move into your life, it wouldn't be very useful. And wisdom, by its nature, is very useful. It moves your life forward. When you become a Christian, Holy Spirit starts to guide you and propel you forward, the wind at your heels. And Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 8 through 17, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for the fruit of the spirit in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awaken you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fool, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is." Paul writes this, and the first section is about light. The second section is about wisdom. The first section says, because you were darkness, you are now light. Therefore, you should expose the works of the darkness. You should experience the fruit of the light and have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness. In verse 15, Paul says, then walk as wise and not as fools, for the days are evil. Walk circumspectly, the old King James says, because your mind must redeem the time and prove what the perfect will of God is. The word uh, then shows there's a connection. I'll just point out what Paul's saying, and I promise this is going to be a very encouraging sermon. I know this, this scripture is a little bit heavy, but I promise you will be encouraged. Just hang in there with me. So I'm gonna point out what Paul is saying here, because your job as the light is to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. Therefore, you should walk as wise. So walking in wisdom is the way that you expose the deeds of darkness. It's not going around and saying a bunch of things. The way that you expose the words of darkness is living in wisdom. That your job as a Christian isn't to make a 12-foot sign and go stand on a street corner and scream at people. Your job isn't to go on Facebook and try to win an intellectual argument with your non-believing friends. The Bible says that the whole gospel is going to seem like foolishness to those who don't believe. It is a waste of time, and it's also not very nice. It's not effective. It's not wisdom. But one thing that people can't argue with is the way that you walk. 
like the Ratatungas today, you can't argue with their testimony. You can say, oh gosh, my marriage is really struggling. I don't know if we're going to make it, but you know in every testimony is the spirit of prophecy. The Bible says that in every testimony is the spirit of prophecy, meaning that because he did it for them, he will do it for you. If your marriage is struggling, their marriage was a wreck. But nevertheless, they're thriving. I don't know how, how many of you have, like got how crazy this is, but Andrew's CPTSD, only one in a thousand therapists are trained to treat complex PTSD. And the outcomes, the good outcomes, less than 5%. It usually takes years. He was doing EMDR therapy for trauma. Had been doing this for a while, but then he came to the workshop. And usually it's like years of EMDR and the EMDR machine will read what your trauma levels are. He went and got deliverance. I saw it happen. I was like, wow, Andrew's up at the altar. Somebody prayed for him. He got laid out. While he's laid out, he sees God reaching into him, pulling out this tar-covered barrel and then making it explode in front of him and said, it's gone. And then one of the ministers from our ministry went up to him, prompted by the Holy Spirit, and just said, God told me to tell you, never again, never again, never again, which confirmed what he had just been told by the Spirit while he was laid out. Then I went up and prayed for him, just put my hand on his back, and my hand turned so hot. And Andrew said, when you put your hand on my back, what had been taken out now felt filled up by the Spirit of God. And then he went in, following Tuesday, true story, to his therapist, and they hooked him up to the EMDR machine like they had been doing. And the therapist said, I, I can't explain this but your trauma is gone. You don't ever have to come and see me again. It's so cool and so beautiful what God can do when you ask him into that place and then are willing to, you know, the recovery process isn't just like come out with like a little Holy Spirit fairy dust and like sprinkle it on you and like bam, you're good. Like it's some hard work. But, the work produces glory in the land of the living, transformed lives, good fruit. His little baby, Abigail, who was born just a couple of weeks after the workshop ended, never has to experience the trauma that he experienced in life, that his mom experienced in life, because there's a general, generational curse that got broken. So, what Paul is saying in this, this scripture isn't that you had some darkness, he's saying that you were darkness, and now you are light. He's saying the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian isn't a matter of degrees, that you're a little bit nicer. You've got a little bit more put together home. You're maybe a little bit more hospitable or slightly more generous than a non-Christian is. He's saying that it's dramatic, it's dark, to light, that there's no comparison from one to the other. 
And it, it means that you're not, you weren't just in the darkness, but darkness was in you. Darkness was at your center. It was a part of you, it was part of your nature, and now the light has been transplanted in your center. And what I'm trying to say is that if you're not a Christian, you can have a dark heart, you can have a dark center, but you can still be extremely nice. That being nice isn't what it's all about. There's some very, very nice non-Christians. There's some non-Christians that are much nicer than some of the Christians that I know. But what the Bible is saying is it's not murder, it's not rape, it's not armed robbery that's the nature of sin, that the essence of sin is wanting to do things your own way. How many of you remember early 2000s, Burger King's motto was, have it your way? Whether it was accidental or it was intentional by the advertising agency that came up with that campaign, they were tapping into something that is in the heart of every human being, that in our fallen nature, naturally, we are drawn to want to have it our own way. That is the nature of sin. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to have pickles or onions on your burger. You wanna go down to In-N-Out, down the hill after service, get a double-double, animal style, protein style, have it your way, go for it. <laughs> what Paul is saying here that the nature of sin is I'm going to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to be the captain of my soul. God, I don't need you, I've got this. I'm just going to be nice. I'm just going to do works. I'm going to earn my way into heaven. And what Paul is saying in this, it, he doesn't say don't have anything to do with people that have darkness at their center. It says have nothing to do with the unfruitful works. Don't have anything to do with the fruit. It's not don't have anything to do with the people, it's don't have anything to do with the fruit. He separates the people from the fruit. He says don't have anything to do with their works. Don't participate in that sin. Don't co-sign it, don't go do it with them. We are meant to be in the world, we're not meant to be of the world. We have a new nature in us, but it shouldn't be one that separates us from people. If, you know, there's a, a letter, I think in First uh, Corinthians or something, Paul writes, don't have uh, anything to do with fornicators. And then Paul corrects himself in the next letter that he sends to the same church and says, well, what I meant wasn't don't have anything to do with fornicators because if you didn't have anything to do with fornicators, you couldn't go anywhere. I mean, like we live in San Diego. I couldn't go to the store. I couldn't go outside. I couldn't go to Starbucks. I couldn't go to church. Just saying. <laughs> We're in a process of being matured from glory to glory. Amen. What Paul is saying in that, that letter is people that call themselves Christians that are blatantly sinning and do not want to be corrected do not have anything to do with those people. We have a process Deal with them directly. And if they don't want to hear it, 
separate yourself from them. Let them experience the fruit. You're a little codependent. Trying to make them be like cushioned and safe and fixed is only going to aid in their destruction. Leave them alone. Let them come back on their own. The Holy Spirit's the one that convicts. Don't have anything to do with those people. But the world, man, we are supposed to be in the world. Amen? So you can't always tell the difference between dark and light if you just look at the works in the moment. What you see is, are those works actually producing fruit? You can look and say, oh, that's a very nice person. They do all of the right things, but somehow their life is a disaster. They keep not having things work out, even though they're really nice, there's something that seems to be pulling them back. And absolutely, we are a church that believes in deliverance, and you can have oppression, even though you're saved, and in heaven someday, while you're here on earth, there can be spiritually oppressive forces that you might need help to break those things off, but you just recognize them, like, gosh, I'm doing all the right things, but the things that I'm doing aren't producing the results that I thought they were going to Produce. There's darkness, there's not light. When people look at my life, they don't see the light of God. They see chaos and confusion. And gosh, I see that in my life. I don't want that in my life. It's saying that if I'm his, I should be light and that should be producing good fruit. And if it's not, you don't need to hide it. You don't need to pretend it's not there. We've got a very effective ministry team. We've got a recovery ministry. We've got pastoral care. We've got a ton of resources. You can start by getting plugged in, going to DNA, going to a connect group, getting actually connected with people that are living wisely. You can learn from them. You can do all of these things. You don't have to live in hiddenness. You don't have to live in the dark. You don't have to hide the unfruitful uh, the unfruitful fruit or whatever. The, you don't have to hide any of that. You know, and, and it's, it's funny because there's, there's a lie that comes from the father of lies and we can look at this in areas of life. That there is a lie that says, if I lie, it'll be easier. If I lie, it'll prevent the loss of love. Or if I lie, it will help me get connected, get love, not just romantically, but in any area, that this will make a complicated situation easy, and it never does. There's short-term uh, help, but long-term destruction. That lies never produce anything good. Dishonesty never produces anything good because every relationship is based on trust. And if you start a relationship off by lying or you continue to lie in a relationship, it destroys the trust that should be there in the relationship. There's no foundation to build on. It's like you put on a mask. And when you put on a mask to try to get love, the mask gets all the love and then you're left with nothing. You can't even give love. It causes you to live in hiddenness. And we're a church that will go after those lies, but not to shame, but to free. 
I've heard the craziest things, and I don't look at that as like, oh my gosh, I need to separate myself from that like dark fruit. It's like, no, I get to engage with this person. This is the whole reason that the church exists. It's not to be like putting good people on display. It's to help the people that were once in the dark, bring them into the light so that they can go out into the world and be light bearers. Amen? So this is also true with sex, and I'm just gonna touch on this very brightly, or very lightly, but in the short run, just like a lie can be a way of getting out of an uncomfortable situation or preserving something a little bit longer, sex can also be wonderful in the short run because the person is with you and because the person will not leave you. In the short run, to say, I'm actually saving myself till marriage and we're not married yet might mean you be might might make you pretty lonely maybe immediately lonely but in the long run if it's true what the bible says that sex is built for it's designed by god for permanent and exclusive relationships and if that's true then what go back and think about it remember when you first had sex with somebody if you weren't married to them you probably felt married. You felt like taking vows right there. You wanted the person to say, I belong completely and exclusively to you. That's probably how you felt because the Bible says that God built sex for that setting. When you decide, well, because the culture says that it's ridiculous to have that kind of possession over somebody, that clearly we've got all of these desires and if God, put, if, if God made me this way, if it's in my nature, then I should just follow my nature. It's super oppressive to think, oh, you belong to me. I should just leave. If you start to agree with those things, well, what you start to say is, I love you now, I want you now, you meet my needs now. But then what happens, sex was supposed to be the way for you to commit yourself to somebody completely and exclusively, and if you use it outside of that context, just like lying, it works backwards. It actually begins to destroy your ability to trust, destroy your ability to make commitments, and destroy your ability to actually say to somebody, I'm for you and with you permanently. Does that make sense? You know, the, the world says you can't BS a BSer. But what I found is it's actually really hard to lie to an honest man. That when they train bank tellers to spot counterfeit money, they don't give them a bunch of counterfeits and say all of the way that people are counterfeiting, they just give them a lot of real currency. And when they experience that real currency over and over again and one bill slips in there that's not real, they're like, wow, this one's not like all the others. And you may not be able to actually pick up like naturally like that person's lying, but there's something that you just like, it feels off. That's discernment and that comes from actually experiencing living a life of wisdom. If you're living in wisdom, if you're trusting God, following him at his word, when something that is, goes against the word of God, whether you know every scripture by heart or not, you just feel it that there, gosh, there's something off. It's like I just watered my plants with bleach or something. What I used to be getting watered, like now I'm getting something that actually feels like death. What used to be giving me life, gosh, this doesn't feel like it's life-giving at all. It feels like something else completely. 
And so my encouragement is to get wisdom. And wisdom comes from living with wisdom. So you get living, you get wisdom by living wisely. So if you can only get it by living that way, how do you ever get it if you're not currently living that way? And I'll tell you, and it was a, a secret that I found when I first came to Awaken Church. The first Thanksgiving that I spent at Awaken Church, John Brevere came and spoke, and he talked about this scripture that the beginning, uh, the, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That we get wisdom by trusting God at his word. And you might say, well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, but the word in that scripture for word isn't logos, it's just not knowing the Bible, but it's rhema, what is God speaking now? And you can see God speaking, like Paul says that he has written letters, not on tablets, but on tablets of stone, but on our hearts that we're his letters to a lost and dying world. We can start by getting wisdom by people that are living wise lives, that are following the word of God and learning from them. And if we start to trust God at his written word and just live as if the Bible were true, whether it makes sense to our natural minds at all, that we taste and see, if you would just believe, you'll see the glory of God in the land of the living. There are so many scriptures that say that it's not seeing is believing, it's believing, and then you'll see. You start to practice, you start to live, and what does that produce? It produces fruit, and the fruit of wisdom is all of these things where you start to naturally become honest. You're, the wind is at your heels. Your life starts to go on that upward path. Even if you stumble a little bit, somehow that wind picks you up and keeps propelling you forward, if you're just willing to stay humble and go to God and say, God, I know that there is more room at the foot of the cross than there is opportunity for me to fail in an unlimited amount of lifetimes. I know that there's room for me here. God, I've failed, but I've come to pick up forgiveness and I'm going to continue to walk in wisdom. When you start to live that way, your life is on an unstoppable trajectory of goodness and you are matured from glory to glory and even in the hard times, especially in the hard times, the world looks at you because everybody is watching you. If they know you're a Christian, they are watching you. They are watching you to see why you have the hope that you hope and especially in the hard times, they will look at you and say there is something different about that man. There is something different about that woman. God doesn't want you to live in a Christian ghetto, only listening to Christian music, only having Christian friends and never interacting with the world. That is not his plan. When the demoniac of the Gadarenes was freed from the legion of demonic spirits that were inside of him, he said, I'm free, I wanna go to Bible college, I, wanna, I just wanna sit at your feet all the time, Jesus. Jesus, I think I'm, I'm gonna be called to be a pastor, I wanna go to seminary, I just wanna follow you, and Jesus said, no. That's not what I saved you for. You need to stay here with the people that know you. Because this is where you're gonna be most useful. You were a disaster. You were dangerous. And now like from darkness to light, you've been changed. You stay here. You know, I think sometimes when we get saved, we're so full of fire for the change that God's just done in us 
but we don't really understand it well, so we're not usually the best representatives. I ran into this a lot. Like the people, my friends would come to me with questions, hard questions about things that they'd read in the Bible or things that they heard. I didn't have the, best, the right answers, so I would just explain it the best I could. And a lot of times people got offended. I knew that he was doing something in me. I knew that I'd been changed, but my witness was just a bunch of words. I didn't have the longevity of experience. I hadn't gotten any wisdom by living a way that produced results that were different than what I expected. There wasn't like something about me. There were the thing that was about me is I'd become sort of offensive. But we usually see like seven, 10 years later, that same person that was once didn't really know what was happening now has surrounded them with like themselves with only Christian friends, only listens to Christian music, isn't really going out of the world. They're incredibly mature, they're incredibly wise, but they no longer have an audience because they've just separated themselves from the place that they were made to make the biggest change in. This convicts me. I listen to a lot of Christian music. I, like, I've tried, I've, I've literally probably 10 or 20,000 albums. I have 5,000 records, like thousands of CDs, a ridiculous iTunes library, and there's just not a lot that I want to listen to. It's like, gosh, I can't believe that I was like meditating on this for years. It like hurts my heart. But there's something about becoming irrelevant to the world that you were meant to transform. And it's not going to be by like memorizing a bunch of scripture and then spouting it off. It's going to be by how you live. And I might do a part two to this message because there was so, so much more. If you go, go into uh, like Proverbs 1 and start to go through, uh, if you got like a Hebrew interlinear or something and actually want to get nerdy like I do about words, you realize that wisdom isn't like a single word. The word that's translated as wisdom, sometimes translated as understanding, sometimes translated as teaching or taught or something, there's like dozens of words because wisdom isn't just like a single thing. It's not like two sides of a coin. It's like a diamond that's full of facets. And there's all of these things that are seemingly unrelated. But when you see the big picture, you realize that these are the things that make you wise. Like part of it is how you position your heart. Part of it is how you receive. Part of it is how you walk. And there are, are three words. And I'll just, I'll just go very, very quickly over them because I think they're important. And then we'll will wrap it up, but um, the first word is la croix, and it's, it's like the understanding what the will of God is, and in order to be wise, you've gotta have like some understanding of the will of God, and la croix is like learning, but it, 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 like the, it means to like really grasp, that you've gotta have understanding around the word of God, and both like his written word of God like, do the Bible in a year. We make it easy for you on the app. But it's, I, I, when I got saved, I had more movie quotes and song lyrics, most of them not good, that I had memorized, dirty jokes, all of the things. But if you'd asked me, like, what John 3.16 was or, or, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, I would look at you like a deer in the headlights. I had no idea. I knew that God was doing something in my life, but I did not know him at his word. As if I've started to know him at his word, it has broadened, it has deepened, it has given richness and meaning to my life. And it has given me direction, sometimes in the opposite direction of where I thought I needed to go, but it has produced fruit. And I feel like he is with me 
always. That makes sense? The second word is haskal, and it means that ultimately wisdom is being pra practical. It's like about being skillful. That, uh, you know, it's your work, the, your excellent work that will bring you before kings. That I'm really good at what I do. And I've, I've sat in boardrooms, I've done work, big work for 42 of the Fortune 100. That's a huge percentage of the world's largest companies. And I've, I've gotten to do that work because I'm actually good at what I do. And the wisdom is being skillful. And it's not just being skillful like in a, a moment, it's being skillful over time. It's being diligent with what you promise to do and getting it done, not like uh, over, over delivering, under promising, not like making a million goals or making a million promises and never quite getting there and asking for forgiveness, but actually letting your yes be yes and your no be no. One of the other words is banah. And if you're really sticking with the truth in your heart, and you're obeying in their study, the Bible says that if there's obedience, that you'll develop this third aspect of wisdom, which is moral insight. You'll start to live with discernment. You'll start to have answers for the seemingly unanswerable questions of life. You'll become like Joseph was. You'll become like Daniel was, as the, the ones that speak to kings. I know this because like this has been my experience that there were downward spirals that I could not get out of. But if, if, I, if I took the entire hour just to tell you about the things that God has allowed me to do, and I'm not saying this to like make myself sound great, I'm, doing, I'm saying this because I'm in absolute awe of what he's been able to do with a life that I didn't believe at one point was even salvageable. So I know that I've said a lot today, and right now I wanna pray for three groups of people. The first group I wanna pray for are the ones that maybe don't know that wisdom is a person. That there's only one way to go from darkness to light. It's not by self-effort, it's not by works, it's by relationship. That the beauty of the gospel the core teaching of all of Christianity is so simple. It's the only faith that even a child can get saved because it doesn't require understanding, it requires relationship. If becoming a Christian meant memorizing the Bible and deeply understanding God's word, it, that would be something completely different. I tried to practice something like that in Buddhism. I tried to make myself perfect on my own strength. And after countless vain attempts, I just found that I would be good, 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 bad. Good, 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 bad. Good, 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 bad. Walking around in circles in my proverbial desert for years and years and years, thinking that I knew everything, but that knowledge wasn't changing my life. It wasn't until I heard the gospel, and the gospel is this, that God wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with you so much that he was willing to send his most valuable thing, his only son, on a rescue mission to save your life because you're that valuable to him. That he doesn't want you to follow a bunch of rules and then get a passing grade on your, I dub thee a Christian. He doesn't want you to do this apart from him. 
the whole teaching of the gospel is that he wants to do this with you. And in fact, he can't do it any other way. He does this in relationship. He matures you like a father to a child in his time and by his power. If you just say yes. I know some of you in a room this size, you probably haven't heard that before and you've been thinking, gosh, I've been in religion or I've just been in the world and I've been trying to be a good person my whole life and I, I hear what you're saying and I relate and I don't wanna do that anymore. I want to say yes to Jesus today. So can I get everybody to bow their head and close their eyes? If that's you today, at the count of three, I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand so I can pray for you uh, this morning. I can join you in the prayer that we're about to pray. Is there anybody like that in here this morning? Just raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you up the back. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hand down. There are two more people that I wanna pray for this morning. If you're saying, gosh, I've been doing all the things, but it hasn't been producing the work. I know that there's something that's off and I know that I've been cutting corners. I wanna invite you to just say, God, I'm sorry. I know that I haven't been doing what's right in your eyes. I wanna come back and I want you to do this with me. I want you to mature me, just like Pastor said, from glory to glory in your strength, because I need your strength. And there may be one more group that are saying, like, gosh, I've been coming to church, but I've been so caught up in all of the majesty of God's kingdom that I've forgotten what it's like to actually be around people in the world. I've forgotten the Great Commission to go out and be a light in the darkness. If you fall into either of those two categories, I just want you to raise your hand and I'm going to agree with you this morning. Is there anybody like that in here? You can just raise your hand. God bless you, 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 God bless you. God bless you. Now while every head's bowed and every eye's still closed, just repeat after me, join me in this prayer. Father God, I thank you that you so loved me that you inconvenienced yourself that you left the comfort and security of heaven to go on a rescue mission to save me. Lord, I declare I am yours and I commit to follow you for the rest of my days. I know you'll mature me from glory to glory just like you have all of those that have gone before me. And God, I pray for opportunities to bring your light into a dark world, to see your kingdom expand here on earth and for glory to follow me everywhere I go. Amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.